like to encourage you to take your Bibles and join me in Luke chapter 1. I can remember as a child enjoying Christmas more than I enjoy it as an adult. I can remember going through my house and searching for my Christmas presents before they were wrapped so that I could find out what I was getting. My parents would threaten me. They'd say, if you find one of these presents, we're going to take that present back and not give it to you. And I knew that wasn't true. No parent takes a present from their kid on Christmas. Right? I can remember when we first had children, I can remember anticipating Christmas. It was a different anticipation. Now I was anticipating my children opening up presents. And I can remember in the early days, the children would get up and most of the presents, if not all of the presents, would be opened before the sun even came up. And I can remember thinking, I cannot wait to actually sleep in on Christmas. Now I have a 19 and a 21-year-old, and you know what I think on occasion? You know what would be fun? Is if our kids were actually excited about Christmas and got up early, and we had to get up early with them. How many of you are looking forward to getting up real early tomorrow? Uh-huh. Yes, that is a stage of life. And you're thinking right now, I know I won't miss it. Yes, you will. Because the Christmas list will diminish, and it will become cash and only cash. And with inflation, it gets really expensive. I want you to know pastorally, my Christmas list is still cash and only cash. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, the magic nature, the wonder of Christmas dissipates on all of us. It is a natural and existing phenomena for all of us. I read child development researchers sometimes refer to babies and little children as mini-scientists because they watch the world around them carefully and they conduct little experiments to understand how the world works. To them, everything is a mystery. Everything is filled with wonder. Every circumstance is met with some sense of awe. But as we get older, we come to know the world a little bit. We forget that it was once a mystery and we no longer really wonder what will happen. And too often we become trapped we lose our wonder. And when that happens, we lose our ability to see the possibility or the potential in any given situation, though it may be ordinary, it could still be wonderful. We follow routines. We get stuck in the same patterns, even of interacting with each other. And we fail to notice simple and wonderful experiences around us. One of the great joys that Christmas affords us is the opportunity to be reintroduced to wonder, to have a sense of awe reestablished within us. Scripturally speaking, that's where we are. According to the Harvard Business Review, cultivating experiences of awe is especially important. One defined awe as the wonder we feel when we encounter something powerful that we can't easily explain. And when we have an experience of awe and wonder, it diminishes our view of self. What that means is effectively it resets our perspective properly. No doubt the Christmas story 
is again affording us the opportunity to feel this wonder when we encounter something powerful that we just can't explain. All through the Christmas story, throughout Scripture, wonder is present over and again. Zacharias wondered how he and his elderly wife could possibly give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah. Mary wondered how it would be possible for a virgin to ever give birth. Joseph must have wondered why he and Mary, of all people on the earth, had been chosen to give birth to the Son of God. The shepherds in the field outside of Bethlehem were in awe when they met the angelic choir singing out. Those that were in Bethlehem wondered, they marveled about the story that the shepherds were spreading. Mary wondered in her heart concerning everything that was being announced of her son at his birth. Simeon in the temple was in awe at being able to hold the Messiah before he died. Mary and Joseph marveled when Simeon prophesied about their son. The wise men from the east must have wondered about the meaning of the star. Wonder and awe is all through the Christmas story. It pervades the Christmas carols that we know. You may be familiar with this one. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nation prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Repeat it again. Be in awe, wonder, marvel at his love. There's this one. Oh, star of wonder, star of night. I'm not going to sing it. I don't want to empty the room. But we cannot escape a sense of wonder at Christmas time. And if we're honest, it once existed within us in a somewhat natural condition. But as we age and we become a little more savvy with life, it dissipates. And unfortunately, spiritually speaking, as believers, we know this story. We come in and expect to hear Luke 2. We know the songs. We know the verbiage. And the wonder of it all dissipates. But I say to you this morning, we have a privileged opportunity to again return with awe and wonder, to diminish a view of ourselves in a season of indulgence, to take a step back and reset our perspective, and again sense wonder at Christmas time, we'll visit the wonders of his love. There is nothing more inspiring within Scripture than to come to grips with the fact that God is love. And that God loves us, the unlovely. I know you're familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We never think of that as a Christmas verse. However, it is the Christmas story manifest. The love of God. One wrote this, that is a vast, unbounded, bottomless sea. That is the heart of the gospel. It is not simply God is love, but God so loved the world that he gave. That is what lies at the root of the new birth. The manifestation of the Christmas story is the love of God. It makes it tangible. It makes it real to us. And we should step back and marvel at it. The miraculous love of God. His love is wonderful because it is miraculous. Now in Luke chapter 1, listen as the angel arrives on the scene. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This announcement to Mary arrives in miraculous fashion. The angel Gabriel walks into the room and knows her name. No doubt every one of us would be awestruck in that kind of encounter. He then delivers some incredible news to a virgin that she is going to give birth to the Son of God. I find it interesting that Gabriel, coming from God, delivers the message to Mary. He gives some real theological principles. He is going to be great. He is going to be the son of the highest. He is going to sit on the throne of David. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary kind of skips all of that and says, hey, 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 let's go back to the beginning. I have a question. All of that stuff is great, but you realize I'm a virgin. Espoused to a man. How can I have this child if I have not yet known a man? And Gabriel answers. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. That's an important word. In the Old Testament, that word communicated the Shekinah glory of God settling on the temple. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use that word to describe the cloud descending on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I could say to you, when you think of how it happened, think of the Old Testament temple and the Shekinah glory or the Mount of Transfiguration and the cloud descending, and I could then say to you, that explains it, but let's not kid ourselves, we still don't understand it. It is miraculous. The Christmas story conveys to us the wonder of his miraculous love, but not only that, it tells us that his love is saving love. In response to his very natural concerns, Joseph has a dream. And in his dream, in Matthew 1.21, he is being comforted about the truth concerning Mary. And this is what we read. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And here's why he is coming, Joseph. For he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Maybe we could think of it more simply like this, God to the rescue. Obviously, his name is of importance as Matthew takes a moment to tell us his name is Jesus and he's here to save his people from their sin. It's an allusion to the 130th Psalm. The psalmist said, he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It is interesting to me that God, 
literally says that he will provide a rescue from sin, and then centuries later he sends Jesus to come and do it. Make no mistake about it, when we encounter the Christmas story, we also encounter the cross, for Jesus came to save men from their sins. That's the truth of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not that it raises our ideals or our morals. The good news of the gospel is not that it is a ticket to a better and more fulfilling life. The good news of the gospel is that man was desperately lost in his sinful condition and God to the rescue in the flesh Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's wonder inducing. His love is miraculous. His love is saving. His love is universal. There isn't a person on the face of this earth, though they may be hours ahead of us somewhere on this globe or hours behind us, the reality is God loves them. It doesn't matter their standing in life, does not matter their social status, their education level, it doesn't matter their ethnicity, their creed, it does not matter where they were born or where they will die. The fact is, God loves all. You can't escape the universality of God's love. His love is for everyone. If you're familiar with the Christmas story, you'll note that Joseph looks nothing like royalty. To be the earthly father of the Prince of Peace, Mary is exactly the same. In fact, early sources indicate that neither Joseph's family nor Mary's had any wealth or standing. Joseph and Mary are going to eke out their earthly existence with his building skills with wood and stone. He was making plows and tools for herdsmen and farmers around Nazareth. It is fact that Jesus was born to humble parents. In that we grasp That it's not just for the elite, it's for everybody. Not only was he born to humble parents, he was born intentionally in a humble place. Micah, the prophet in the Old Testament, prophesying about the coming of the Messiah, pins these words, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. I find wonder in that verse. Bethlehem was a little insignificant village. In fact, one said this was a little postage stamp along the way, and here was the one to be ruler of the world, to be born therein. He was born to humble parents in a humble place, conveying the universality of his love. In Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to the humble proclaimers, the shepherds. We shared it a moment ago. Let me remind you, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, look, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you the good news of the gospel, which shall be to all people. It's universal. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto you, lowly shepherds, humble proclaimers, given the opportunity to go and tell this good news for the first time. Shepherds were con- considered 
continuously unclean. They could not enter the synagogue. They could not enter the temple. They were the low rung of society. Why would God not send the announcement to the Sanhedrin in the hall of hewn stones in the temple? Why not the leading rabbis of the day? Perhaps the high priest. No, Jesus conveys the universality of his love by bringing it to these humble shepherds. Unto you he is born for all people. The angelic choir sings out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. No doubt they were awestruck when they saw that. I find a connection to the understanding of God of the human plight and condition in this moment. It was customary that parents would hire local musicians to come and sing, announcing the birth of their child. You could only do that if you had some means financially to hire local musicians. Maybe they would do you a favor if you were at home, but not if you're far from home with no money to your name. And so God, the heavenly Father, giving His only begotten Son, provides the musicians. And it's at a level that no one on earth could provide. The angelic choir sings out. It is at this moment in time as the concert finishes that we read, and they, that is the shepherds, came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. There it is in verse 18. They wondered. The news is spreading fast. Everyone is mystified. Everyone is marveling at this tale. Everybody is wondering at the good news that is being communicated unto you shepherds who are now telling everybody in Bethlehem that he has come for all people and they wonder at the good news. We may be at another stage of life. We may have entered another season of life. But this moment in time gives us an opportunity to do some unselfing in a season of excess and indulgence to gain a diminished view of ourselves by encountering the wonderful love of God. We sing a lot of hymns. Interestingly, there's a song that we sing, and the last verse of the song wasn't actually penned by the author whose name is at the top of the page. He rather found the words for this last verse inscribed on the wall of an insane asylum. Doesn't that make you feel good about singing it? Say, Pastor, I thought that's where most of your messages came from. Most. He found these words inscribed on the wall of an insane asylum. Clearly, somebody found the love of God before they died. Here's what he found and wrote down. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above? would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
It does us good to wonder at the love of God. And it's not some distant, it's not some forgotten, it's not some ancient thing, it's real. It's for us. That's what Christmas is all about. Grasp this reality. All men are sinners, dead in trespasses and sin, by nature under the wrath of God, lost, unlovely. In our natural state, absolutely nothing we can do to merit eternal life or peace or heaven. Sin, the Bible says, must be paid for. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and only Jesus. Wonder at his love. You say, I'm not really excited about the rest of today because the kitchen's going to be destroyed and I don't really like my family. I'm not really excited about tomorrow because we're going to have to get up early and finances are a little tighter this year so Christmas isn't going to be what maybe it could have been or what it was last year. Maybe you've lost somebody between last Christmas and this Christmas, and it just doesn't feel the same. Maybe life has worn you out. Maybe you've just experienced about all there is to experience, and you're kind of at your wit's end. Maybe you're just a longtime church veteran, and you've heard everything there is to hear, and you've sung every song, and you can almost, almost word for word go through Luke 2, and it's just not that marvelous anymore. I say to you, if nothing else... Pause and wonder at the love of God and allow it to diminish your view of yourself. Would you for just a moment please bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week. <music>